learned something in New York City on Saturday as I was walking down the street. Uh, maybe it was Friday. Uh, I, I think I must have felt like I had the weight of the world on my shoulders, and uh, and I was in deep thought. And as I was walking down the street, a gentleman passed by, and he said, "Smile. It's a really good day." So you can actually learn something in, in New York. And so as and I thank him for reminding me about that. Brother Justice said that one of the highlights that he had of the meeting in Memphis was Brother Harris Beecham leading singing and smiling with joy in his heart. And then I got to thinking about it. Did you know that I probably have more to smile about and be happy about than most of the people in New York City? Because of the blessings that I've experienced from the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm going to make a better effort to show the joy of the Lord. And if I don't show it, you remind me of it, if you will. In Matthew chapter 28, uh, just a couple of verses here. uh, Yesterday we talked a little bit about this. So the folks that were in New York, bear with me again. For a little while. But in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus Christ, it's written in red in my Bible. And when I see uh, the, the scripture written in red, even though I realize that all scripture is by the inspiration of God, I take special note to it. And I realize that it's Christ that delivered the words. It says... Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power, I can, uh, I know Brother Mark will remember this. I can hear Brother Compton and Brother Steve, I'm sure, remembers Brother Compton. This was one of his theme verses. It says, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Brother Compton said, If God has all power, how much power does that give us? He clearly made a point there. And then he says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father. Now, I think that just over the recent years that Primitive Baptists have embraced this broader teaching, broader concept here of going and teaching all nations. This last week I received a phone call, and I don't always answer the phone if I don't recognize the number, because I get a whole lot of calls that are not really uh, valid calls, either wanting to sell something or, or things like that. You probably do the same thing. But I almost reluctantly answered this call, and it was actually Brother Zach in India. It's not every day I get a call from somebody in India. But Brother Zach was just expressing that he appreciated the prayers of the folks and that God was blessing their work and labors in India. I'm excited when I hear about the work in Africa that uh, God opened the door through Brother Cook to be involved in the work in Africa. When we were at Memphis at the meeting, I met a gentleman that uh, hadn't seen a while that you all met and heard. And his name was uh, Sergey, uh, and he's friends of Brother Cook and Brother Mark, and he's a minister of the Primitive Baptist in Russia, and he was there uh, at the meeting in Memphis. And so it's exciting to see the work. Understand, Brother Timothy's now in the Philippines, laboring there. And it's great to see the Lord opening doors across the country, not only of the United States, but in other countries as well. And God using and putting it on the hearts of folks to share the gospel. And so what Christ is delivering the message right here, he says, uh, 
I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this charge. And this charge should be for all of us as a church body. And it ought to be for all gospel ministers. Brother Steve's been involved in working with the folks in Frederick, Maryland. Uh, as a result, several of them have uh, come forward and made their membership here at Mount Carmel. He's now helping the folks in Tidewater. And what a blessing that that is. And uh, that God is opening that door as well. He says, go ye therefore, and he says three things right here. He says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. And then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And Lord willing, this afternoon, uh, weather permitting, Lord willing, we're going to go to the creek and we're going to baptize these two followers of Christ. And here is the lesson that we have. We baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Now you can go over and read in Acts chapter 18 where there were some that were baptized that didn't really understand that the Holy Ghost was a vital part of it. And they were actually rebaptized. you can see. It's one place in the scriptures where that took place. He says right here, go and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So first of all, he's given the charge right here to go teach. And then he says, go baptize. And then he says, go teach again. So the prescription that we have right here is to teach. And there may be a whole lot of teaching that goes in place before you baptize. But then once you're baptized, that's not the end of it. You go and baptize. You go teach. Then you baptize. Then you teach again. And so that pretty well sums up the responsibility of the gospel minister is to teach the word. Baptize when the Lord convicts the hearts of his people. And then go teach again. And that sums it up. Well, there's two. There's two. Vital ordinances in the church of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that the format that the scriptures lay out of the church is simple. I guess I appreciate it because I'm simple. And I need something simple to be able to understand and to attempt to follow. And so the simple format... It's laid out in the New Testament church is very, very simple. It's not complicated at all. In fact, the early church, as you go and read through the book of Acts, it's exciting. But the early church was actually held in homes oftentimes. So it doesn't really, I mean, a building is wonderful. A building is beautiful. This building has been a blessing to us in Mount, at Mount Carmel. We've used this building hard over the last 25 years. And God has blessed us with a wonderful place to meet. Beautiful building down at Columbia, Wilmington. In New York, they don't have a building. They bounce around from one place to another. It's almost like the children of Israel traveling around through Manhattan. Because uh, for a year or so, we'll be in a high rise. For a year or so, we'll meet in a fellowship hall at a church and various other places. And so it's kind of like the children of Israel just bouncing around the city if you look at it. But the makeup of the church is, as we understand it in the scriptures, is very, very simple. In fact, Elder Compton used to say, and maybe it required a large Lincoln Continental to be able to do this, but he said that he would normally keep 
uh, about a, a dozen folding chairs in the back of the car and a, and a box of hymn books. And he said he was prepared to have church just about anywhere. Are there any of you here that you've had church in your home that maybe Elder and Sister Compton were there? If, if he had a box of books, you remember what he's talking about. Uh, a few chairs. You had the physical provisions to have a church service. We went up one time to Hopewell, and uh, and uh, we'd been having good services there at the meeting house, that beautiful old historic meeting house. And this particular uh, time, it was a van load. Probably Brother Mark and some others took several van loads of folks up to Hopewell. And we get up there this particular Sunday afternoon, and the trustees had forgotten all about the service that we were supposed to have. And there were not any trustees around to be able to open the building up. And so we talked about it, and we prayed about it, and we said, well, what do we do? We've got, we've got a group of people here that want to worship the Lord, but we don't have access to the church building. So we just went out in the middle of the cemetery and gathered around in a circle, and we sang some hymns from memory. And Brother Andrew Huffman was there and preached a gospel message. And we had church. Now, this afternoon, I failed to announce, but Brother Tom Reeves and Brother David Kilby uh, brought their instruments. And they're going to, uh, they're gonna, as, uh, as it says down in uh, North Carolina, they're going to make music for us this afternoon, uh, in the afternoon, uh, while we're at the park. Well, when you, uh, when you don't have a church building... You still can gather together. And we had a wonderful, wonderful service right there in the cemetery, right next door to the building that we didn't have access to. So the format of the church is really, really simple. It really hasn't changed over the last 2,000 years. The way that the Lord set the church up in this simple fashion, it's still the same. Now, sometimes we come along and we think that we might need to add some things to what the Lord set up in the church. But actually, I found out through my years of experience that when we think we need to add something to the church, to the simple format that Jesus Christ set up, we're actually taking away from what he set up and we're complicating it. So the simple format that we see in the scriptures is the simple format that we still do today. It's uh, singing of hymns, it's having prayer, and it's preaching the gospel. The gospel message is the same message, or it should be the same message, that was preached by the apostles. If you don't hear that preached here at Mount Carmel, the apostles' doctrine then I want to personally encourage you to start looking and find a place where you can hear the doctrine that's taught in God's Word. If we've distorted it here, then I want to encourage you to start looking for a place that you feel like the Apostles' Doctrine is taught. Now, and I don't encourage folks to go and travel around, but you're obligated to go and hear a message that's the same message that the apostles taught. And I believe that the Lord blesses that, that there's two things that are critical in the church of Jesus Christ. 
we don't have a lot of backup things to follow. We don't have uh, we don't have a backup choice to follow back on. We're dependent upon two things in the church of Jesus Christ. We're dependent upon worshiping the Lord. Number one, in the spirit. And the second thing we're dependent upon is worshiping the Lord in truth. He says, those that worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. Now, before you become convinced by Satan that you may say, well, uh, maybe the truth is there, but I don't feel the spirit. I want to just remind you uh, two things. If you don't feel the spirit of the Lord, it may not be the Lord. It may not be the church. It's possible that it might be you. Let me tell you why. The Lord has promised that whether two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them also. So the Lord has promised that if there's only two of you, I mean, look around, I, I, I believe there's more than two, maybe everyone. But if there's two people that are here at Mount Carmel today that have come to worship the Lord, that are seeking the Lord in spirit and in truth, then the Lord has given us a promise that where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them also. Now, I grew up in Lubbock, Texas, and I either when, when I when I found my home in the church, I either sat on the second row or the first row. That's just where I, I, it helped me uh, to be able to hear, to understand, to comprehend, and to not be distracted. And so I sat on the second or the first row and I, and, and, and have historically done that. Maybe it's a tradition, but I can tell you that I've been to meetings before that I was sitting on the first row or the second row. And there were folks on both sides of me that when the message was proclaimed, it was apparent through their response and through their interaction that they were blessed and I wasn't. What was the problem? I was the one that was not in the spirit. And so if we don't get something out of it, the first place we ought to check is with self. Because God has promised that he's going to be there. Now it's hard to get something out of the message. Believe me, I, I've been where you are. And, and if you're working on a grocery list, at least mentally, it, it kind of takes away from listening to the message. If you're working on your to-do list for next week, it takes away. Or if you're looking at your watch and you're counting the minutes and say, well, I can surely hang on another 20 minutes. Then it takes away from, I've been there, so I'm just confessing with you. But if you come to the Lord's house and you pray that God will bless you, it's amazing. He may, did you know what? He may bless you in spite of the preacher. He might. He may bless you through a song. Or he may bless you through his word. And so if you come praying that you're going to receive a blessing. And also, by the way, this is another thing to pray for. Pray that not only you're going to receive a blessing, but you pray that you will be a blessing. Sometimes we come to church and we think, I go to church because of what I'm going to get out of it. 
When in essence we ought to come to church and say, Lord, help me to be used of you to be a blessing to other folks. To the others that are around, Lord, would you use me to be a blessing? Not what I'm going to get or what I'm going to receive out of it, but that I'm going to be used of you to be a blessing. Did you know that one of the greatest satisfied individuals that you're going to have is somebody that's used of the Lord? Doesn't have to be a great big way, big profound way. God may use you to encourage somebody else along the way. But we get so wrapped up in self that we forget that we're here to use the gifts that God's given us to be a blessing to other people that are around. Listen, we do have a unique group of folks here. I mean, we really do. If you need me to elaborate on it, I can. But with that comes a unique set of gifts. Everybody here has not a gift, multiple gifts that were given to you by God. Now, when God gives you a gift or multiple gifts, do you know why he gives you those gifts? To hold on to them and hide them and save them? So that they won't get taken away from you. The gifts that God's given you. Are to be used. And did you know that if you'll use the gifts that God's given you. Two things will happen. Number one. He won't take it away from you. But if you don't use the gifts that God's given you. Very likely. The gift that he's given to you, we have example of this in the scriptures. If you or I don't use the gifts that God has given us, God doesn't take it lightly. God gives you his gifts and he gives it with a purpose and a reason. And the purpose and the reason that God has given you the gifts that you have is because God wants you to use them. And God wants you to use these gifts to help other people. God doesn't need your help. That's one thing we know about God is he doesn't need your help. He's not dependent upon you. You're dependent upon him. But God has given you the gifts. And did you know that if you use the gifts, then number one, he's not going to take the gifts away from you. The gift or gifts. You remember the individual that he gave one talent, he gave two talents, and he gave another one five talents? And the ones that used them, God actually doubled those gifts. And the one that didn't use, the one talent that he had, the one talent that he had, he said, I've hung on to it, I've, I've saved it, I've, 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 I've saved it, I've stored it, but I'm not going to use it. God comes back and he reprimands him and he takes that one talent and he gives it to the individual who already had five talents and God doubled those talents, those gifts. He now has ten talents and then God gives the one that didn't use it to the one that would use it the most and now he has eleven talents. So you want to have more gifts? Use those gifts that God's given you. Don't bemoan the fact that you don't have more gifts. You want more gifts? Use the ones God's given you. 
And you'll end up with more gifts. That's the principle that's taught in God's Word. But if we don't use what God's given us, He very likely may take it away from us and give it to someone else. Okay. I just want to breeze through this real quick. Two ordinances that are taught in the New Testament church. Very simple. Two ordinances. One is baptism. And the second one is the Lord's Supper. And those are things that we practice today in the New Testament church. We're going this afternoon and we're going to experience the ordinance of gospel baptism. Now, you may say, well, I've already been baptized. Praise God, I have too. Then I want you to relive your baptism. Every time I go to a baptismal service, it helps me relive my baptism. I love to hear about baptism because it reminds me of my baptism. My grandmother lived to be 90 years old. Those of you that knew her knew that the last six years of her life, she couldn't hardly communicate at all. But if you could get her mind directed toward her baptism, which had happened 85 years before, she was just as clear as she could be on that. It made an impression in her life. Now, he says, go teach, then baptize, then teach again. The first reason that we ought to be baptized is because Jesus Christ was baptized. Jesus Christ was not baptized. I'll tell you one reason this is fresh on my mind. When I was in Albuquerque, uh, a father and a mother came to me and said, Our daughter would like to talk to you about baptism. Here I am 2,000 miles away. They had questions as well as she did. And we spent the afternoon for a long time talking about baptism, what it means. And then they said, uh, keep in mind when I left 25 years ago, there were seven strong active churches in the state of New Mexico. There's two that are just barely meeting now. They said, if we're, if she follows through in baptism, where's her church membership going to be? We're in the service. We move about every four years. We were baptized in a home church in Louisiana. Then we were shipped to um, uh, Italy and then to North Dakota. We were baptized and then we were moved and we only had our first communion service last year. We'd never experienced communion in 13 years. I said, well... One way, this doesn't have to be the only way, but this is one way. The outreach in New Mexico is an outreach at Mount Carmel. And I said, if your daughter decides to follow in baptism, which it seems like the Lord is leading her in that way, one way is that she would be a member at Mount Carmel until you move to another area that has a church. Or until there's a church that's constituted in this area. But I said she would have a church home and a church family. Now, there's one example. This is the exception, not the rule. 
There's one example that we have in the New Testament where an individual was baptized and we do not have the indication that this individual was baptized into a church, Philip and the eunuch. It says this is not, this is not the this is a, this is an exception to all the other places that are taught in the Bible. And I believe that it's there for this reason. It also states the qualification for baptism. Uh, If you uh, you go over into the book of Acts, uh, we'll just touch on that real quick. It says in uh, Acts uh, chapter 8, it says that Philip and... And the eunuch, it says that the eunuch was preaching Jesus unto Philip. And then he says, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? So as, they're, as he's in the chariot, as they're passing by, uh, he sees a body of water. And, and, and by the way, not only does Philip and the eunuch go down into the body, the body of water, which is what we're going to do this afternoon uh, at, 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 at the river. But it says they went down into the body of water. And before they did, Philip said uh, that, that, that uh, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And it says that he commanded the chariots to stand still. They both went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them in the water. He baptized him in the water. So the one requirement that's given to us right here across the board is that if you have a belief and a hope in Jesus Christ, then you are qualified to follow in gospel baptism. Now, Satan will tell you all the reasons that you're not qualified. Susan's grandmother had a great response to that. Old Sister Thompson, I didn't know her. I knew of her, but I didn't know Sister Thompson. And I understand that she was quick on her feet to come back if somebody said something. And so one day, an individual was here at Mount Carmel when the building was faced this direction and told Susan's grandmother, well, I don't want to be a member of that church because... There's too many hypocrites in the church. And old Sister Thompson said, Oh, come on, there's room for one more. (laughs) The requirement is that you believe in Jesus Christ, that He's your Savior. There is a fountain filled with blood. He says, I hope that that blood was shed for me. That's what He's saying. If you hope that blood was shed for you and your only hope, if you have seen, you don't have to understand everything there is to understand. If you wait till then, you don't have to wait until you've got it all figured out. If you wait till then, you're not going to, you will not follow in baptism. Little Caleb Stewart, I don't know if he'd ever sinned up to the age of five. I mean, he was, he was a real... I'm sure he had, but he was a godly young man. His dad called on the phone and he said, Brother Mike said, Caleb wants to talk to you. Brother Caleb said, Brother Stephen, I've been thinking about baptism. He said, I've decided that the first day that I live, 
all day long without sinning. I want to be baptized. I said, well, Caleb, I hate to tell you. I hate to disappoint you. But if you're waiting until then, you'll never be baptized. You say, well, when is the time to be baptized? I don't have to tell you. The Lord does. He tells us in 2 Timothy that baptism is not. I grew up in an area of the country that some of my friends grew up in a church that believed that baptism was what was going to secure their home in heaven. In fact, to the point that if you woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning, this is not an exaggeration, but if you woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning and you made the decision to be baptized, that you could call the preacher... Now, we don't believe this, so I'm not encouraging this. But, uh, <laughs> but you could call the preacher, and they would go down to the baptistry, and they would baptize at 2 in the morning because they felt like that baptism was so vital in your eternal salvation that you would not live in heaven unless you'd experience the water baptism. Now, we don't subscribe to that, and here's why. Second Timothy teaches us that baptism is not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. That simply means that your baptism is not going to pay the price for one of your sins. Your sins have been paid for 100% by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if it's not covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, then there's no payment, there's no sacrifice, there's no ordinance, there's not anything that you can do that's going to help you get to heaven. Baptism's not going to do it. Baptism is not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. But baptism is the answer. What's it the answer of? It's the answer of a good conscience. Anybody here have a conscience? Lord, ever stir your conscience? Lord, ever stir your conscience about baptism? That's the time to be baptized. I don't go around and force folks. That's not my job. That's the Lord's business. It says in Acts chapter 2 that it's the Lord that adds to the church. Now, let, so right here we see that, that uh, baptism is the, not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but it is the answer of a good conscience toward God. Uh, one of the best reasons that we do it is because Jesus Christ set that example for us. But also... As I mentioned the exception, and I want to, I want to mention, uh, I, I believe this might be why that exception is there. I mention it because, first of all, it tells us the requirement that we believe in Jesus Christ. So if you believe in Jesus Christ, don't let Satan convince you of all the other multiple reasons why not. If God is convicting your conscience, don't quench the spirit. In Acts chapter 2, he says... Now, when they heard this, this is in Acts, the early church. I love the book of Acts. 
He says, when they heard this, they were pricked in the heart, and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, I know that my pastor used to tell me you need to quit while they're wanting you to keep going and preaching, but I'm going to ask you to bear with me a few minutes. We didn't all get started singing at 1030, so I'm going to borrow some time back from you if that's okay. (laughs) And I trust it'll be profitable. So... Maybe the next time everybody will be here at 1030. And if you're here at 1030, I'll stop at 12. But since I can borrow a little bit from you, then let's, uh, you hold on. This will be good stuff for you. I believe it will. I'm not going to go a lot longer, but just a, a couple minutes. This is so rich. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. How are you pricked in your heart? It's not the preacher that pricks you in the heart. It's not you pricking yourself in the heart. It's not your mother, your father, your brother, your sister. It's the Lord that pricks you in the heart. And the Lord is the one that's in charge of gripping our heart. He puts it in our heart, in our mind. He causes us to be his people. And he says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And he says, I write it in their heart. And so it's the Lord that pricks us in the heart. It may be. When the gospel is being proclaimed. But it's not the gospel message. It's the Holy Spirit that pricks you in the heart. He comes down and he says, when they were pricked in the heart, they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, when the Lord pricks you in the heart, the first thing that comes to mind is, Lord, what do I need to do? Not to obtain my eternal salvation, but because of what you've done for me. Is there anything that I can do to follow you? Look at what he says. Then Peter said it to them, repent and be baptized. What does repent mean? It just simply means turning away from some things. Did you know that repentance is not a one-time experience? I don't know about you now. I, I, have to, uh, I hate to disappoint Bray and Brother Phil. I I really hate to disappoint you, and I hope that your experience was different than mine. I hope the rest of you are completely different. But but I really thought, I really was hopeful that when I was baptized that I wouldn't have any more struggle with sin. I was baptized early in the day, and I was disappointed that before the end of the day, I still had that struggle. Therefore... I still need to repent. Repentance is not a one-time experience. It's an ongoing experience. Did you do anything yesterday or think any thoughts yesterday that you need to repent from today? I'm glad that we have that avenue. He says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, this is rich, so hold on for just a minute. He says, For this promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. He even tells us who it's to. It's to the ones that the Lord calls. It's to the ones that were chosen from before the foundation of the world in Jesus Christ, who Jesus Christ represented upon the cross of Calvary. He says, it's to as many as the Lord our God shall call. Then he comes down and he says, even to as many as the Lord our God shall call. And he says, and and, and here's where I believe we have the example right here. 
that, that baptism that, 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 that in, in, in the in the uh, in the commitment of baptism that one of the things that that comes right along with it in baptism is the wonderful fellowship, the wonderful relationship, the wonderful church family. When Brother Danny was baptized at this uh, at this creek, uh, at this uh, uh, river over here that we're going to, all the folks were gathered around on the top of the uh, the bridge up at the top. And Brother Steve and I were there and we said, look up. There's your church family. That's each one of you. He says right here. Then they that gladly received the word were baptized. Do you know what? You don't baptize somebody that's kicking and screaming going the other direction. You baptize folks that are happy in the Lord. You baptize folks that are rejoicing in the Lord. And he says right here, they gladly received the word and they were baptized. And it says that day the Lord added about 3,000 souls to the church. And then he said, and, and here is the... Here is the church function right here. He says, and then they, it says, they went home and they never communicated anymore with anybody that was there. Nope. In Texas, they had some folks that were referred to as Trump Baptists. That they would get their letter and they put it in an old-timey trunk, and that's where they keep it. There's no place in the Scriptures that allows to be Trump Baptist. Here's the type followers were to be. Then they that they they gladly received the word, they were baptized, and it says they continued steadfastly. Now, what does that mean? It means when they were excited about it and when they weren't. When it was convenient and when it was not. He says they continued steadfastly. What did they continue in? They continued steadfastly, number one, in the apostles' doctrine. You should be able to take what's preached here at Mount Carmel. And you should be able to compare it to God's word. And if it doesn't match what God's word is, as far as the, the doctrine that the apostles taught, then you ought to come to Brother Steve and myself and you ought to dress us down and correct us and instruct us in the right way if we're not preaching what the apostles' doctrine was. You need to be worshiping. Mount Carmel needs to represent what the apostles' doctrine was. By the way, I'll tell you what I believe the apostles' doctrine was. Brother Phil and I talked about this yesterday. I believe the Apostles' Doctrine is, you can summarize it, uh, not that this is all of it, but this is a big part of it. T-U-L-I-P. T, total depravity. U, unconditional election. L, limited atonement. I, irresistible grace. And P, some say preservation, some say perseverance. I'm fine with either one. I'm very flexible on that. I was taught preservation of the saints. I hold on to that and I proclaim it. I believe if we're saved and we persevere, it's by God's grace as well. But that sums up a lot of the Apostles' Doctrine. The early folks continued in the Apostles' Doctrine. And it says, in breaking of bread. Now, you can find that here at Mount Carmel. Sister Janice Bear. How many remember Sister Janice? Sister Janice Bear went to her doctor. And he told her, 
If you knew Janice Berry, you'd understand this. She's a man baby in her 70s. He told her, he said, you've got to lose some weight. She said, it's all because of my church. (laughs) He said, I beg your pardon? She said, we're always eating. (laughs) We're eating on Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening. It's all because of my church. Well, I think that breaking the bread right here can be this, but I think it's also the communing with the Lord's people in the Lord's Supper. But he also says they continued in breaking of bread, in fellowship, and in prayers. And, and that's the consistency of our worship. We put some songs in there, and we have the example for that in Ephesians and Galatians and in Psalms. But then it says, and I'm going to just speed through this right here. And he, he says, and, and he says, and, and, uh, and they continued daily in one accord. Now, how many does it take? To not be in one accord. Just one. Lord takes it real serious in his church. That his people worship together in one accord. Doesn't mean we have to see everything exactly alike. But what it does mean is that we should be long suffering. And if somebody doesn't see it exactly the way that I do. I'll I'll tell you. And and he won't mind sharing this with you. Brother Asa and I did not see every single scripture the same. Probably Brother Steve and I don't. Probably Brother Cook and Brother Chuck. But we discussed scriptures. And we made it a point. That when we were here in the worship service. We were just like this. And I believe we're instructed in God's word. To be long suffering with one another. To not be divisive and contentious. And sow seeds of discord. Because the Lord hates that in his church. The church ought to be a place that we can come together and we can worship the Lord together and we can fellowship together and we can feast on green pastures and rest beside still waters and we ought to be able to be fed spiritually in the church of Jesus Christ. Now look what he says. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. It it was a happy time for them. It was a happy time for the believers in the church of Jesus Christ, in the early days of the church of Jesus Christ. And it ought to be a happy time today. It ought to be a happy time for you. It ought to be a happy time when you come together with others to worship the Lord, to feast on His promises, to feast on His Word, to sing the songs of Zion. And then look at what it says right here. It says it was a happy time. It was a glad time. And it says they were praising God, having favor with all the people. And by the way, it says, and the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. I'm so thankful that's his business. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's the Lord's church. He just blesses you to be able to live in it and to enjoy it. For it to be an embassy away from home. Now I tell you, Mount Carmel fulfilled that two weeks ago for Brother John and Sister Gabrielle. They said, we were amazed that here we're so far from our home church in Texas. And then all of a sudden these folks came around and rallied around 
and prayed for us. And our burden was their burden. And they encouraged us in the Lord. And they helped us. That's what the church family does. It helps us in this journey. It's a great place. There's a lot of things that I've doubted in my life. A lot of things I've questioned. A lot of doubts that I still have. But one thing that I found is for me, for me, maybe for you as well, it's the greatest joy on earth. It is. It satisfies my soul. I don't know about you. Sometimes there are folks that come up that they get unsettled and they start looking other places. It suits my simple soul. It's blessed me. The folks have been there and encouraged me and it's helped me. And I'm not spending my time looking because my soul is fed with the simple message of God's sovereignty. I believe that his name is to be proclaimed in his church. We're to teach. Brother Steve's a lot better teacher than I am. Brother Chuck, Brother Asa. We're to teach the best we can. We're to baptize and we're to teach again. If you get something out of it, then you give the Lord the credit for it. You give the Lord the glory of it. But even if you don't get a whole lot out of our teaching, you'll get a whole lot out of the fellowship with the brothers and sisters in Christ. You get a whole lot out of the singing of hymns. And by the way, we have enough preachers come through this pulpit here that if you're not fed with my preaching or Brother Steve's preaching, if you're here, you're eventually going to find somebody to feed your soul. So you keep praying. and Keep praying for us. And in spite of us, I'm going to share this and then I'll stop. I think I have about ten more minutes based on when we started the song series. I went to a church service several years ago in an area that that uh, I went to, and and, uh, and I have to tell you, I just didn't get much out of it. And I thought, you know, I don't think I'm going to go back there. If I'm ever in this area again, I was in that area again a while later, and I got to thinking about it. If the Lord has given me the blessing of knowing the truth, and if that's where the truth is proclaimed, whether there's six people or 16 people or 60 people, then as for me, I need to go and I need to be praying for the preacher and for the folks that are there. I want you to know, I went back. Before I went, I prayed for the preacher. I prayed for the congregation. And I prayed for myself. And I want you to know the second time that I went, that preacher preached a profound message that blessed my soul. There was an experience that an older sister shared that I've been blessed to share with other folks through the years.
pray that God will bless you. Pray He'll bless the preacher. Pray He'll bless the church. And then don't be surprised if He's there and He's present and blesses you as well. May God bless you. We're glad you've been able to listen to this podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at 10.30 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application.